Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Kean Clancy and today we're speaking to Lieutenant Commander Mike Brunacardi, Captain of the LE James Joyce, which at the time of recording is alongside John Rogerson's Key here in Dublin in support of the Health Service Executive and the National Ambulance Service in the fight against COVID-19. Thanks very much for coming on, sir. Thanks very much for having me. Um, <clears throat> so when we were talking about doing a podcast like this, a lot of people aren't kind of sure what the ship is, what the ship is kind of doing down here or what kind of what capabilities the ship provides. So in the course of the podcast, we're going to kind of get into that and we're going to get into what you've been doing since you left Hall Bowling um, Naval Base on the 6th of April. But uh, first of all, um, just your, your own career, sir. So, so you've been captain of, of this ship for, for how long? Or I took over command of James Joyce in January uh, 2019. So I'm just over a year out here at this stage. Um, I joined the Defence Forces in 2001 as a member of the 41st Cadet class. So I went through my two years as a cadet, was commissioned in 2003 which moved on then to my professional training to be a naval watchkeeper. I'm an operations branch officer. And on completion of that, um, I took up my first posting at sea as a qualified officer, uh, gunnery officer on the LE Ashling. And since then, I've been in our two-year out, two-year in rotation. So I've served as the navigation officer on LE Ashling. Um, my last posting at sea was the XO on LE Neve, and I'm in my current posting on James Joyce now. Uh, Bruno Cardi is a very unusual name. Um, just where, where does that come from? Or it originates in Genoa, in North Italy. Um, but I'm, I think myself, and my brother, the seventh generation in Ireland. So um, we have a family history of. I'm the third generation in the navy. So my grandfather, my father, and now me have served in the in the Irish navy. Okay, well, that's a that's a really long familiar rec- familial record of service. In fairness, with regard to the James Joyce itself, can we just hear a little bit about the ship itself? I know it's one of the newer the newer ships in service with the naval service. Absolutely, Keen. Uh, the James Joyce is the second of the P sixty or Becca class offshore patrol vessel. The keel of James Joyce was laid down in twenty thirteen, and she was commissioned in September of twenty fifteen. So she's approaching her fifth birthday. Um, and since she was commissioned, uh, James Joyce has seen uh, a fair bit of operations. She deployed not only in maritime defence and security operations around Ireland, but she also deployed to the Mediterranean in Operation Pontus. And uh, in 2018, she was uh, one of the ships that served in EU NAV for made Operation Sophia. What makes an offshore, offshore patrol vessel of, of utility? I mean, we kind of spoke about adaptability and about the various roles it can occupy and, and also like interagency roles, like for example, with, with, with the Army or, or with the Air Corps or, or what have you. What, what, kind of, what kind of things can we, exp- can we expect to see from a vessel like the James Joyce? What a ship like James Joyce gives you is, as you said, adaptability. Uh, it can change hat at a, you know, at a moment's notice. You know, um, it's highly flexible. It's highly responsive. So if you just use, you know, our primary role is defence of the state, obviously. Our secondary role is then or anything from maritime defence and security operations, surveillance, intel gathering, um, pollution control, search and rescue, um, NS, Naval Service, Diving Service, Diving Section, support, um, you know, down to fishery protection. Okay, so like the, there's a huge ro- there's a huge range of things there Absolutely. that you can see. What I say is a life in the Navy, no two days are the same and you can change within that day, you can change four or five times. So you could find yourself, you know, on a fishery protection inspection, you know, telling your boarding team to expedite or complete the boarding as quickly as they can because a search and rescue. So if I use James Joyce as an example, 
during our last sailing order we detained a, a fishing vessel for a breach of EU regulations and while we were still going through the legal process of handing that trawler over to the Angarda um, Siakana in Castletown Bear, a trawler went on fire just south of Bear Island, about 15 miles south of Bear Island. So while we were still dealing with that detention, we had to react. Uh, so we weighed anchor and we proceeded at best speed and uh, helped out with that situation. Now again, uh, the Life from Castletown Bear got the casualties off, but again, we made an assessment of the situation. And when everything was calm and collected and there was no more risk, we withdrew and returned back to fishery protection. But that just shows you the adaptability of the ship and the personnel within that ship. And the, wide, the kind of widespread yeah. sort of various roles. Um, it was described to me before that, that with regard to the Naval Service, because a lot of our listeners might, might kind of realise this, but the Naval Service are the only agency in the state that has that kind of capability at this scale at sea. I'm kind of right in saying, in saying that, am I? Am? Absolutely. We're the primary seagoing agency of the state, but we work very closely with the Coast Guard and with other um, maritime agencies to make sure that Ireland's waters are protected and you know that there is no illegal activity happening within our waters and on the approaches to our waters so we have very good relationships with many governmental bodies you know in the same sphere so to speak yeah okay so we're, it's all across agency and and with regard to like the number of people that have been on board a ship like james joyce at any one time um what are we looking at complement wise or and uh, normal patrolling for maritime defence and security operations patrol, you're probably talking between 44 and 48 people, uh, depending on uh, permanent people who are posted to the ship. But you also have trainees, so at various different levels of their training, that need to build up sea time because seagoing requires experience and it requires on-the-ground knowledge, so to speak. So you can learn plenty in a book, but you learn one way more in one day on a ship than you would with months of uh, book smarts. Yeah, of course, yeah, I imagine. So you learn, you learn by doing. You mentioned like that coming in for, say, to support Operation Fortitude, the Defence Forces um, the defense forces operation to support uh, the civil authorities against COVID-19. You, you mentioned that there's, there's, a bit of, there's a bit of diversity on board as well with regard to, say, for example, you were saying you have a number of uh, Naval Service Reservists have been, have been supplementing the crew. Absolutely. And with an operation like Operation Fortitude, because the op-tempo in supporting the National Ambulance Service and the HSE is high in making sure that the community testing centre is being run efficiently and supporting the uh, the land-based authorities, we have to increase the amount of people that we have on board the ship just to keep that tempo going uh, and to give people proper rest and recovery time in between testing. So what we have done is, uh, what we haven't done, but the Naval Service have, Reserve have been instrumental in supporting the Permanent Defence Force in helping in running the, or not running the CTCs, but the Naval Service Reserve are helping the ship. So it allows me to free up some of my personnel to go into the CTC. But again, the Naval Service Reserves are, are helping with the duty watches and on more on board work to keep everything taking over because the ship is the support element to the community testing centre. And so their role is vital in making sure that that support is maintained. So the ship was in Galway. We have redeployed to Dublin. So we've seen support from Limerick Unit NSR when we were in Dublin, or in Galway, excuse me, and Dublin Unit NSR, and you also have Cork Motford are supporting Elietna in Cork. Well, that, I mean that that's so. The Naval Service Reserve, as part of the single force concept, are giving you they're giving you extra capacity so that you are capable then of giving the Health Service Executive and the Naval or, or the National Ambulance Service, sorry, um, extra capacity in the testing centres and everything like that. Well, Absolutely, and it's some of the skill sets that 
the naval services are of personnel bring, no more than our own people. Uh, they come with a set of skills that we can use, that we can implement. So again, we have, you know, uh, some are plumbers, others are carpenters, which have been used to support the community testing centre, which is all adding to the support of the citizen during this pandemic. No, I mean, it's always great to hear when, when there's when there's use of the reserve in, in, in that way, which you actually mentioned um, just a second ago there that, that he'd been in Galway. So so I think I said at the top of the podcast that the uh, James Joyce left Hall Bowl on the 6th of April, I believe, um, and we spoke earlier about adaptability in the wide range of roles, but you are alongside John Rogerson's key now, but you've been doing a, a, a number of other roles in, say, if your, your tour at sea began at the start of the month. So you started off and you were, you were deployed to Galway originally, I believe. Correct, yeah. We we left Hall Bowling on the 6th of April uh, and commenced maritime defence and security operations. So again, we left Cork. Uh, we had received orders that we were deploying almost straight to Galway. So what we did was we conducted maritime defence and security operations on our way to Galway. So we went a bit offshore, just making sure that any outliers, as we call them, so to put that into um, context, we use a wide range of satellite systems and intel gathering uh, systems that allow us to see the majority of who uses our water. So we know our regular visitors. So these are shipping that use our waters regularly. So fishing vessels, merchant vessels, um, sailing vessels during the summertime that you become some way familiar with. Then you have your routine visitors that might visit two or three times during the year, but we're aware of them. We recognize them. And then you have your outlier who isn't on our satellite systems or who isn't a regular routine visitor to our waters. So what we do then is we kind of zone in on them and what we call ground truth. We see that they are who they say they are. Um, so if they're not on the automatic identification system, we close in and we hail them just to make sure that nothing untoward is happening. And again, we just confirm that to make sure that our waters are safe, that there's no illegal activity going on. So that's what we did at the first point of this sailing order as we call it and then we moved up towards Galway where we took a complete handover takeover from Ellie, Jane, or Ellie William Butler Yates alongside Galway running the community testing centre there and again at that point um, the HSE um, decided to close down the community testing centre in Galway in Galway docks and at that point then we were redeployed back out on maritime defence and security operations where we left Galway, uh, we proceeded west and we were patrolling through our waters, again flying the flag. But we also went out into Northeast Atlantic Fisheries Commission waters which lie outside our 200 mile limit. And again just to make sure that there is no illegal activity out, outside there. So we spent two days out there and while we were out there then we got the notification that we were redeploying to Dublin to take over from Ellie Neve on Sir John Rogerson's key and run and support the community testing centre here. So that shows you the adaptability, the flexibility, and the responsiveness of an offshore patrol vessel and yeah. what a naval asset can give you. So going from you know, surveillance operations to fishery protection to supporting the civil authority in Dublin within within two to three days. So again, well, you know, when we were first when COVID nineteen first really kicked off and community testing centres were set up you know, the response of the Navy was, you know, you had ships ready to go at a moment's notice. And again, the personnel on those ships. So we do, we go out on sailing order. You know, we have ships starting sailing order this morning, you know. You say sailing order now, you mean, you mean just, just, just leave, yeah. And what happens is we do this in line with a patrol plan, but we do this so regularly. It's operations no matter what. Yeah. It's just the type of operations change. 
Okay. So, you know, that ship leaving Cork this morning could find itself taking over from me. I don't know. They yeah. haven't received orders yet. But again, that's how flexible the whole naval service fleet is. Ellie George Bernard Shaw is currently in the process of detaining uh, a French fishing yeah, vessel for we, illegal. We actually did it. We, we, we actually yeah. publicized that on social media. So yeah. there's the flexibility again. You know, I'm here in Dublin, supporting the community testing center. Uh, George Bernard Shaw is doing fishery protection and detaining a fishing vessel for illegal activity. And we've other ships commencing patrol this morning to do maritime defense and security operations. So you have the whole swath of what we need to cover being covered, showing the adaptability of the Navy, the Defence Forces, and particularly the fleet. And so, sort of like talking about the vast variety of stuff that you've been doing since, since he left, we kind of spoke when we were talking about doing a podcast on this, when we were talking about it the last day, about like changes in, changes in the pattern of life at sea in the current COVID-19 situation, stuff that people wouldn't even think about. But what kind of things would you be seeing? Obviously, you're looking, you're looking out for fisheries and, and narcotics and things. I mean, can you see changes in the normal patterns because of COVID-19? Absolutely. Um, you know, with a pandemic comes a, a change in, in mindset and stuff like that. So again, you know, our main bulk of our regular visitors would be the fishing fleet. Yeah. And uh, what we thought would there would be a drop off in fishing activity, but there's actually been an increase in fishing activity really? in our waters, which is, you know, kind of bucks the trend. Who is doing that fishing or is it just all European states who have access to our water, okay. so the Irish fishing yeah. fleet and stuff like that. Um, what you have is the ship itself is, in a way, an isolation boot. Yeah. And it's the, just the nature of a ship itself. So if I use James Joyce as an example, you know, um, we're used to self-isolation. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. we come to sea for four weeks at a time. Um, you know, at the start of the patrol, we implement in some level of uh, social isolation and social distancing just to um, make sure everything was straight in our own heads. And then we got back to normal operations. And again, you can see the HSE guidelines are implemented on board. But if you look at a ship after two weeks, you know that you're clean of COVID, you know, and you can drive on with your operations. Um, and that's what we're used to here. So. There is the routine on board a ship, you know, the cleaning routine, the hygiene routine happens daily and this carries on no matter what. So what you have is when people are on ships, they're self-contained. They can't spread the COVID. And what you have is fishing is an activity where they can bring catch in and leave again with very little interaction with the general public. Yeah, That's just my musings on uh, the fishing fleet, but there has been an increase. But again, you have bad actors that will see, no matter what, will see an opportunity. Yeah, of course, yeah. So while there's a global pandemic, there's still supply and demand. So um, they're not bad actors, but what you can see at the moment is there's an increase in oil tankers worldwide, not berthing and not offloading because the price of crude oil has dropped below yeah, zero. Right. Yeah. So now you have an increase of these ships hanging around. And again, with... Uh, global traffic and stuff like that, they transit through our waters. Yeah. You know, if they're going transatlantic, they touch our waters in some stage uh, because our waters are so vast. Um, you have, so getting onto proper bad actors then that see an opportunity or their normal regular routes of getting the likes of narcotics into the European market might have changed. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. The ports where they're going to might be locked down because of COVID-19. So they look for opportunities where they normally wouldn't uh, get narcotics in. So is Ireland the potential to get narcotics into the European market? 
is transiting through our waters, you know, an opportunity to get narcotics into the European market. So that's why we do maritime defence operations offshore to position our ships to find and to see is there any definite change in pattern of life. Yeah, of and as we see things happening that we don't normally see, we feed that back into the Naval Operations Command Centre and they then distribute it to the likes of Intel um, who then turn that information into stuff that can be used to see, okay. you know, see is, what the is there is. a change in yeah. narcotics, is there an increase in, you know, you know, yachts visiting our waters in quarter one and quarter two of 2020, which is not their normal pattern. Yeah. Summertime, course, yeah. yes, not during the winter. And going back to my outliers example then, that's where we go looking. Why is this contact not on automatic identification system? Yeah. He's not on the vessel monitoring system, so he's not a fishing vessel. What's he doing out, you know, 200 miles west of Ireland in the middle of winter? Let's go and have a look at him. Yeah. And then we have the ability as the Navy to put boots on his deck to confirm. Yeah, of course. He might have been blown off track. He might be in difficulty. He might need a dig out. Or he could be a bad actor trying to get narcotics into the European market. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and obviously for, for people that might, mightn't realise, all the naval ships would have, a, would have an armed boarding capability. So that, that's an ability yeah. to actually board, a, board another vessel. Absolutely. Um, with, with armed personnel if necessary yeah. but that, that's very interesting because it's something that I don't know if a lot of people would have considered people are very focused obviously on what's going on immediately in front of them on, on land in Ireland itself and in the cities and, and with regard to COVID-19 hmm. but the wider knock-on effects at sea I, I, I found that very very interesting absolutely and if I use myself as an example on my previous ship Ellie Neve we interdicted the Machiavella a sailing vessel which was carrying 290 million euro worth of cocaine for the European market it was a joint operation with the Revenue and Customs Service and on Garda Siakana. But again, the Joint Task Force interdicted that uh, yacht and stopped that, those narcotics getting to the markets. And again, while you have 290 million euro worth of cocaine interdicted, it is the add-ons. It's the lives destroyed, the additional crime, yeah, of course, the yeah. petty crime, the serious crime was stopped as a result of that interdiction. So that's what we're looking for is that's what we want to stop. And again, it's protecting the citizen, protecting our kids that this stuff doesn't get onto the streets yeah. and into their hands to keep it away from from the Irish public. Of course, yeah, 100%. And, and of course, from a kind of a kind of an inter-service op operation within the Defence Force itself, these, these operations would be assisted by the Air Corps with the, the maritime patrols from the CASA as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And does that, what way does that operate? Does that operate in a way that the Air Corps will just feed into that picture for where, for where the, Absolutely. the ship and will go? The Air Corps maritime patrol aircraft always plays a vital role in any of these operations in providing high-level intelligence or position reports because they can go very high and still spot what we're looking for. Yeah, spot that outlier. And what they're doing then is they're feeding near, near real, if not real-time information back into you know, our decision makers then. You yeah. know, and they're able to see. So the Air Corps have been vital in many of the interdictions over the last number of years where while Ireland hasn't interdicted, Ireland has played a vital role in stopping narcotics. So. Uh, one example was a, a yacht transiting through the southern part of our exclusive economic zone. Uh, while we had a surface asset in the vicinity, it was the Air Corps picked him up. And then the Air Corps, working with the surface asset, were, was able to track this guy through our waters. But again, not giving away their position, being completely covert, 
And what we were doing was feeding the information down into the United Kingdom Border Force. Yeah. And what we were saying is he's heading your way, lads. And then you have then as they interdicted the yachting question inside the UK, exclusive economic zones with a quantity of narcotics on board, again, destined for the European market. And this is all coordinated then through the Maritime Analysis Operations Centre for Narcotics, which is based in Lisbon, which is our Ireland is a part of. Okay. So, it's again... international sort of opera, operation. Exactly. Yeah. So, they gather intel and then they disseminate it as they see fit. So, my case, the Machiavella, that was all based on intelligence-driven operations from Mayock in, as we call it. Yeah. But again, they work with the United States and uh, the Americans in feeding information. So, again, it's everybody looks after each other's backyard, so to speak. Well, that, no, I mean, that, that's great to hear that it's that type of international co cooperation going on, on on a real kind of routine basis. Yeah. But so, so after all that, so after, after leaving Hobol on the 6th of April, being deployed to Galway, being deployed back out to sea, and then, then further up into the northeast, <clears throat> and the James Joyce was given, um, was given orders to deploy down here to Dublin to John Rogers' Key. To, as we said, support the community testing centre here, which is just, just outside the ship, just beside us here. Yeah. So that was on, you arrived here on the 22nd of April. And, and kind of what, what goes, what comes on from there? First of all, there's obviously a handover process. Absolutely. So we birthed it um, on the 22nd and Ellie Neve was running the community testing centre at, at that point. So what we did is we worked closely with the crew of the Ellie Neve and there are subtle differences between the community testing centre in Galway and Dublin. Just small things, nothing major. But again, it allowed us then to go through a full handover takeover procedure with the crew of the Neve just to make sure that we were 100%. Uh, again, being the capital city, there is, you know, uh, a different approach to the community testing centre in Dublin. Um, it's a bit more high profile. Yeah. Um, you know, we have had a number of incidents around the community testing centre, which, again, validates having a ship here to provide security for, you know, unwanted attention. You know, again, people are coming to this community centre or testing centre. They're frightened. They're nervous, course, yeah. uh, and again, what we do is we um, we support those people. We reassure them. We relax them a bit. Um, but that's all going through the handover procedure. And again, what the ship provides is, like I said earlier, the support element to the community testing centre. So everything from admin to hotel services to power to fuel for the generators to heat to sustenance for the the team. So food and water and hot drinks, you know, during the week it was a bit lower, last week it was a bit colder than it is today. Yeah. But again, that people are, people are warm and doing what they need to do. So like, that's, that's really, really interesting sort of all the stuff that the, that the ship can provide because I think a lot of people walking around, a lot, a lot of members of the public who are walking around, see the ship there and they're not sure why the ship, I mean, there was a lot of misconceptions early on that the people were actually coming on board to be tested on board the ship, but it really is a, is provision of real life support to allow the test centre to operate, really. Absolutely. Um, we always say the ship is like a small village. We have enough power and heat and whatever we need to power a small village and look after a small village. So if you look at, you know, the internal structure of a ship, you know, we have um, not only the command structure, but you have the personnel and what the skill sets that they bring. So on board, we have three cooks. So not only are they feeding the 55 out of us, but they're also providing food to the, the community testing centre. Uh, tea and coffee uh, drinks and stuff like that so that's what that brings on the engineering side of it it is the power generation for 
running that test center you know can be fed off the ship you know we have a generator on the wall we have heaters on the wall and it's the skill sets of our technicians to make sure that they're kept running at optimal throughout the testing uh, phase we have the manpower again with our experience in the mediterranean and the likes of operation pontus and eu navfomate who are used to donning and doffing personal protective equipment uh, and we set very high standards for our time in the Mediterranean because while we were forward operating down in the Mediterranean we needed to maintain our medical force protection at all times so we had to keep the 57 of us healthy because if one came down with something be it a gastro bug or something like that chances are it would it filters through the ship and then your ability to deal with the issue diminishes so we've maintained that high standard and our medical force protection is key to everything we do to the point that it's fed down to the individual and the individual has to maintain his or her medical force protection on board. We've talked about medical force protection and when we talk about force protection in the military we mean like we mean looking after the personnel so that they, they're able to do their job so I presume by medical force protection so we're talking about not adhe like adhering to high medical standards to prevent members of the crew becoming ill and then not being able to do their job. Absolutely, um, and with medical force protection, we're looking at the individual to make sure that they are fit and healthy to do the task in hand. So currently, that's to assist the National Ambulance Service and the HSE in conducting uh, COVID-19 testing. So that is why we go to a high level of um, standard operating procedures of maintaining high standards, which then feeds down to the individual and their high standards on board. So again, it's all in line with HSE guidelines, cough etiquette, um etc etc on board but also internally you have um a strict cleaning regime which is done throughout the ship copious times during the day to make sure that all surfaces are cleaned so any form of illness is not transmitted through the ship so we have different zones but going back to your initial question that is what the ship provides it provides the manpower um, it provides the physical electrical power backup uh, and also what you have is while the people are testing you have personnel on board standing by to support them so their primary tasking is helping with the testing our primary tasking then is supporting them so if they need more PPE if they have a problem with one of the heaters we can send people out who put on the personal protective equipment and maintain okay, yeah. that heater yeah, or energy. the generator or something like that so yeah. that what we have on board is we have so Community testing centre is referred to as what we call as the RAID zone. Yeah. That is where potentially COVID-19 is or has been. When you come towards the ship, then you have the amber zone, where again, people who have been in the proximity of COVID-19 may have been exposed, but again, that is decontaminated. And the ship always maintains itself as a green zone. So okay. the green area is safe. So you don't need personal protective equipment. And we would have been seen coming on board that there's there's quite, there's, there's very structured ways Absolutely. of coming on board with regard to hand washing, cleaning yeah. of the shoes, um, the, question, the questionnaire that's asked as Absolutely. you come on board. All in line with HSE guidelines and the equipment coming onto the board, on board the ship, any stores, they will all be decontaminated, you yeah. know, uh, before they come into the ship so that the green zone and the personnel on board are not compromised in any way. And this all feeds into your medical force protection then. Yeah. But again, the ship has the added benefits of 24-hour security. So if anything happens at any point during the day, we're here. Of course, yeah. We can yeah. respond to anything. Uh, if the HSE want to increase testing, we're here. You know, we have the personnel, we're on site. So yeah, of course, speak. and yeah. the HSE has been supported as well by, by, the, C, by the Central Medical Unit from, from the Absolutely. Army who are coming down from, from yeah. the country supporting them there as well. And throughout our time here, since the first ship came into our time and 
it'll pr proceed us as we leave is we've had support from defense forces and medics throughout three every day and again as you said support from the cmu these people are all factored into uh, the support that we're providing to the community testing center okay very that, that also i mean it all sounds there's such a wide range of stuff that the ship can provide mm. um, and that, that's helping to keep this testing center going so like with regard to medical support on board like what kind of capabilities can the james joyce offer in addition to a lot of the real life sport aspects we talked about earlier okay so the hsc and the national ambulance service are in charge of the community testing center and we're supporting them uh, with personnel and but also like i was saying earlier where we have the support element on the ship I have an onboard medic at all times uh, and again what I've done is I've withdrawn him from all duties from anything to do with the community testing centre so he is on standby. So he's on standby with all his medical equipment, uh, defibrillators and uh, the likes so that if there is something that the HSE or the National Ambulance Service need assistance with I can deploy him into the community testing centre to help them out and again to make sure that the citizen is supported. Okay right and, and like when you say withdraw him so, so that, that's in the event that say somebody has a medical issue that, that is outside of the of kind of COVID like uh, exactly so someone that might have a cardiac arrest okay. or you know something serious that kind of you know you're into life-saving country you know okay yeah, and like we we have on board on board a ship there is a there is a defibrillator every absolutely yeah. yeah so and like i said the medic is part of the ship's company so again i have that um utility on board that i can deploy my medic you know when we're on maritime defence and security operations, that, okay, well, and it is, it, it's something we've seen throughout our history. Is you know, a trawler might have you know had an accident where someone might have broken finger or had a cut, and we've sent our medics over to yeah. at least assess the situation, see does the the person you know, it's not, it's not the primary medical support, but it's we can assist where we can. Um, they really found uh, they're calling in the Mediterranean. Uh, not saying that they hadn't found their calling before that, but skill sets they learned in the Mediterranean really or skill sets they learned back here were of massive benefit in the Mediterranean which are now transferring up here over to, to kind of COVID-19 exactly. to Operation Fortitude yeah. it's interesting because that kind of relates to what you know people have been highlighting as well with regard to COVID that just because COVID-19 is ongoing there's a pandemic ongoing doesn't mean that the type of medical issues that we would see on a more routine basis still aren't happening and, and there's a huge knock-on effect so, I mean, it is, it is great to hear that that kind of capability is kept on board the ship and that's recognised that someone may have a non-COVID-related medical incident that mm. needs to be looked after. Absolutely. So, like, we mentioned kind of the cooks on board and we were also, like, feeding the... So we're feeding members of the National Ambulance Service and, and from the Absolutely. HSE as well yeah. as our own personnel down there. Yeah. Um, and that must be a really big job for the, for, the, for the cooks on board here. It is, but they're some of the best and they just carry it in their stride. Yeah, the Navy you has know. a very good reputation for, for providing good yeah. food. Um, they, they're outstanding and, you know, even as high tempo as this can be, there's never any sort of, you know, slacking off in quality. They really do. They're top-notch top uh, uh, chefs and cooks and really what you see throughout the fleet is you know they keep us fed they keep us watered and you know a well-fed ship with good quality food is a very happy ship you know and again you know people here are very happy um, and the lads work you know serious hours and just for myself you know as the captain I don't know how they do it in some of the weather we operate in you know where it's, I can imagine, yeah. it's fairly rough and you know fair enough I spend most of my time you know either on the bridge or sitting in front of a PC but how they cook and uh, function are moving around it, fairly, fairly uh, exactly so difficult to do I take my cap off to them you know that's the area that they operate and you know they are the galley is nearly a, a central hub in the ship yeah, you know, yeah. So a lot of crack a lot of banter but the lads have their finger on the pulse and they, they feed into 
the overall command aim of what we need to get done. At the start of this kind of talking about coming in here and talking about like members of the public coming into testing centres and being concerned and you know being being scared about their health and about um, the possibility they may have COVID nineteen. Coming into a situation like this is obviously. Um, anxiety provoking for um, for members of the crew and for members of the defence force coming in. When, when you're when you're deployed in somewhere like this as the captain of the ship, as as the commander of, of these personnel, what what do you say to them, or how how do you keep your spirits up in what can be quite a scary time for everybody, for for the whole? Absolutely, um, you know it is a challenge. This is something that none of us have ever seen before, and you know everybody is dealing with their own family set up, their own family situations and stuff like that. But before we left Cork, you know, um, I went to Operation Pontus in 2015 and when we were leaving and getting ready to come back out to sea, I saw that focus in my crew yeah. on James Joyce focusing on Operation Fortitude. And you could see that they know that they're doing something as part of this pandemic. And what I said to my ship's company is in 2015, we deployed to the Mediterranean to help migrants in another crisis and we saved over 18,000 lives down there. But what I said is they were from migrants we didn't know. We we're going to Galway or to Dublin to support the Irish citizen, Irish people, yeah. not migrants in another part of the world, our own people. And again, the flag that we carry on our, our shoulders and on the back of the ship, this is happening in Ireland. So what we did in the Mediterranean is we brought Ireland to them. And now what we're doing is we're bringing Ireland to people who are frightened, who are anxious. And what it is, is they see through the PPE a friendly face. Yeah or someone that puts them at ease. And this is what, these are the people I see on a day-to-day -day basis. These are the people that I work with that will crack a joke, that will just ease the tension. And what you see with the initial queue of people queuing up to be tested is, by the time they come back out, they've been reassured. You know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to go through COVID-19 testing, but they come out the far side with an appreciation that, okay, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, and what you have is the Defence Forces personnel are in there uh, and my ship's company and they're putting them at ease and they're very good and it's skills we learned in the Mediterranean to see people who are who are anxious and stuff like that and we have ways of diverting um, their anxiety just to bring them back to where they are. I always remember uh, dealing with a woman uh, down in the Mediterranean who was up to high door, could barely function, was not listening to her and we learned the skill of putting a high energy biscuit into one hand and a cup into the other, something as basic as food and water, and she just focused on them. Yeah. And a level of her eye anxiety dissipated, and then we extracted the information that we needed to get out of her, yeah. put her at ease, and re then she realized, oh, I am safe. Yeah, you're safe, you're safe. So yeah. every day at the end of uh, operations on the, in the community testing center, we do a debrief. And again, people who haven't been into the Mediterranean are learning these skills of you know dealing with people who are anxious, but again, getting them to to calm down and just to refocus. Yeah, of course. And these are, you know, we've people out there, you know, seasoned sailors to first time sailors. You know, and again, these are skill sets that they will carry for the rest of their lives, you know, and hopefully within the Navy. But if they move on, you know, they could, these are skills that you can use anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a kind of a very unique sort of experience Absolutely. to bring you know, to, to And that's to the what, table. you know, the soldiers in Lebanon, us down in the Mediterranean, on Duff. These are skills that we learn that can transfer into any situation. That yeah. again, skills that you can learn if you know if you're in a pub on a Friday night and it starts to escalate, you might be able to dissipate that from turning into fisticuffs or something like that. Yeah, of course, yeah, and and like um, supporting the Irish citizen at, 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 at such a really yeah. really tough time and really scary time. Absolutely. Like this. And like 
I mean, invoking those ideas of service and those ideas that we're, going, we're here now to serve our own families and we're here to look after our own people. And it could as easily be, it could as easily be your your, your parents or your Absolutely. grandparents or something that that you're supporting here as members of the public here in Dublin or, or what have you. Yeah. So yeah, no, um, I mean, it, as I said, it must be, it must be a challenge, but. Obviously, everybody is, is rising to the occasion. And, and Absolutely, and we have the GA banter, you know, we are from Cork. Yeah. We are in Dublin. <laughs> and I <am> so, myself. <laughs> you know, so we all, we've had a good few jokes about that, that, you know. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. To help you out, you know, in the big yeah. smoke. We wouldn't be Irish if we didn't have yeah, a bit yeah. of humour. <laughs> exactly. So that, that's all That's all great, sir, and I'm sure everybody is, is really is really interested to hear all, hear all of that. And I'm sure members of the public, it's, it's good to get a bit of kind of detail on, on what's going on down here. With regard to to Eddie James Jones. What's what's next on the table for, for the ship or where, where do you go from here? So for the next 48, 72 hours we're still tasked with Operation Fortitude and uh, supporting the Community Testing Centre and uh, we're due to finish patrol on the 1st of May so we'll be no doubt rotated out. Um, we haven't got confirmed as to what ship will take over from us here but that will probably come in the next 12 to 24 hours. But it's back then to uh, our home base in the naval base in Cork and literally to take our rest and recovery but also to turn the ship around within a two-week self-maintenance period. So there's, uh, you know, we need to get maintenance done on critical parts of the machinery and stuff like that to turn the ship around to come back out on maritime defence and security operations. So, um, yeah, that's, that's so the plan. It doesn't stop? No, so it, doesn't, it, never stops. it never stops, you know. <laughs> Um, so, um, and WEAS is going to be rotating in here according to yeah, that's, the plan that's towards kind, the end of the week. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The Ellie, Ellie William Butler Yates. Yeah. So that that all that's all great. Great. So any like anything else you'd like to kind of say on the operation or any you know? No, just that you know it's as bad as this pandemic is. It's great to see the vital role that the defence forces and the navy are playing in in helping this the citizen in this in this pandemic. And again, it just goes to show you, I've touched on it a lot, is just what a ship can bring, the adaptability, the flexibility and the responsiveness. Yeah. Um, that, you know, search and rescue one minute, COVID-19 testing, you know, 12 hours later, it's, it's, we're that flexible. Yeah. And it's great to see um, a number of generations on a ship, but seeing all generations pulling together to support and to reassure the public that we have their backs, you know, they're, they're in need at the moment and that's what the defence forces does you know if you go back to our old tagline of defend protect support you know defend the state protect the citizen and that's what we're doing at the moment and then we're supporting the civil authorities okay great that's that's fantastic thanks very much to lieutenant commander mike brunicardi captain of the le james joyce here alongside john rogerson's key it was an absolute pleasure to have you on sir and thanks very much for coming to visit us on the james joyce anytime no problem um for our listeners, uh, please keep an eye on Defence Forces social media and military.ie for further info on the Defence Forces. And for our members, uh, daily COVID-19 updates are published on the members area of military.ie along with other resources, so please do check that out. Uh, today's programme was produced by Gunnar Porrick Sullivan of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. To everyone out there, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. Uh, stay safe.